We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Welcome in, Bears fans, to another edition of the Bear Report Podcast. Training camp is underway for the Chicago Bears as players have reported to Hallis Hall and have begun walkthroughs at Hallis Hall for the 2020 training camp session. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson of the Bear Report Podcast, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Lemming. Aaron, you weren't here last week, so we got to catch up on a couple things, but how are you doing overall? Doing all right, man. Just, uh, you know, it's been a hectic, hectic few weeks. You know, I don't, I don't even know really how to describe it. It's just like every little thing that can pop up at the wrong time pops up at the wrong time. But, you know, at least we're – baseball's back at full swing, NHL's back at full swing, and, and, you know, NBA's back at full swing. And, you know, at least teams are reporting the training camp. I mean, as we've seen with some videos, some veterans who kind of showed up with rookies and they're already going through walkthroughs. So, I mean, we're still – like we are talking about before, we're still a little under two weeks away from actual practices, but at least football activity is finally kicking up. And it seems – it seems like the NFL has a decent grasp on how they're going to do things. And I, I was reading a tweet earlier, uh, I think it was from Tom Pelissario, that was basically saying something along the lines of they're actually going to have tracking devices on these players. So they're going to be able to monitor, unlike the MLB, they're going to be able to monitor where these guys are going and what these guys are up to when they're not at the facilities and they're not on the field, which, I mean, is extreme as that sounds. It's just one of those situations. We've seen it with the Marlins and we've seen it with the Cardinals. You know, one group of guys goes out to, you know, a bar or one group of guys goes out to a restaurant or something that they're not supposed to do. And it ruins everything for everybody. And multiple teams have to suffer because of it. And it's just one of those situations where uh, the NFL really cannot afford an outbreak. They're not really they're not really prepared the same way as like baseball is in terms of the taxi squads and everything else. So. Really kind of, you know, a bubble without a bubble is what the NFL is going to have to do if they plan on getting the season in. Yeah, and, you know, I was going to say, we might get robbed of a Cubs-White Sox World Series because of the uh, Miami Marlins wanting to go out to a nightclub and not be able to play games. But, yeah, it's crazy to see what's going on of with baseball. You know, and you touched on it with the Marlins going out you know, to a club and the reports of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals going to a casino, a couple of them partying um, in Lake of the Ozarks on the boats. But 
Yeah, I think the NFL's kind of, you know, taking it as it goes and kind of has a little bit of a learning curve here as as we, you know, are just pretty much almost a month away from the start of the season. And I talked about it last week on the podcast. What they're essentially doing, the Bears, is they're trying to control everything that they can so that there's not an outbreak inside of Hallis Hall. And then essentially put the trust in your players to not do anything stupid, you know, kind of maybe second guess yourself. Is it safe really to go to the grocery store? Is it safe to go out to dinner? Should I, you know, maybe go to this, this event or hang out with friends? And it's really going to come down to, are the players going to be smart? Are they going to take precaution? Are they going to wear a mask? Things like that, you know, wash your hands. Because from everything we heard in that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy press conference, the Bears have a very good setup at Hallis Hall in terms of, you know, the process of getting into the building and once you're in the building, being able to track the players. And if an outbreak does happen, they can essentially see, you know, where that player has been in the building, you know, has he been in contact with anyone else and then just completely shut it down. Now, the NFL doesn't have the luxury of a bubble like the NBA and NHL and MLS does, which all three leagues so far, you know, look pretty good. I believe the NHL hasn't had a positive test since going inside of the bubble. The NBA, I think, had one or two uh, positive tests. But since, you know, that, a couple weeks, they haven't had any positive tests. So, yeah, I mean, the NFL, it's obviously a different game. It's more of a contact sport. Um, But it's going to be similar to baseball where you're going to have to really trust your players. Well, and I think the big thing comes down to this, right? And, you know, I I don't really know how else to put it, so I'm just going to say it, and uh, hopefully this isn't too blunt, but it really comes down to the young guys policing themselves and and the veterans policing the young guys because I think ultimately that's kind of what's happened in baseball where – you have certain players, these younger guys that still want to go out and they want to party and they want to hang out and, you know, they, for lack of a better term, they want to date and they get on Tinder and they get on these dating apps. And, and that's the issue, right, is you have guys like Nick Foles. You have, you know, multiple players on the Bears, multiple players in a league for that matter. They have families. They have wives. They have kids. Um, you know, in the in the case of Nick Foles, his wife has had some medical issues in the past. Um, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, a lot of these guys got newborn kids. So it's really going to be about policing the younger guys. I'm not going to say any names. I, I, I think there's a few that come to mind that have been partying on boats this offseason. You know, what you do in your free time is your your thing. I don't really care. But when it comes down to putting other people at risk because of the decisions that you're making, those are the kind of things that have to stop. And and I think that's going to be the big thing uh, with teams and the veteran players is really keeping some of the younger guys that aren't as mature locked down and focused on if you want to play this season, if you want a paycheck, if you want to go out and do what you love to do, then these are the sacrifices you have to make. And, you know, it, it is asking more of players than it is asking more of, you know, just a normal person. But again, this is a very delicate situation, and we've seen how the NBA's handled it. We've seen how the MLS has handled it. We've seen how the NHL has handled it, and they've all done tremendous jobs so far. Obviously, MLS is a little farther along than any of the rest of the sports, but, I mean, NBA's had no issues. NHL's had no issues. Hopefully, and I mean hopefully, baseball's got their stuff figured out because, like you said, if the Miami Marlins are the ones who tanked the MLB season when they had no chance to begin with, that's going to be very frustrating. I think – they're over the curve of that, and plus the Cardinals. Hopefully, they can kind of get over the hump there, and that'll be the end of that. And you know, they can kind of police everybody. But 
again, it's it's a very different situation, especially when you're talking football, because you're talking about 53-man rosters on top of you're talking about extended practice squad. You're talking about uh, bigger coaching staffs. I mean, you're, you're basically, when it's all said and done, I mean, you're talking well over 100 people on each team when you're when you're counting everybody versus you know basketball and hockey and even baseball the, the, it's just not the same there's more people it's a higher contact sport and it's going to be very 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 key for the NFL to be able to keep things under control and again i mean they and we've talked about this multiple times they've had the benefit of watching all of these other organizations not only prepare but start up and get in the midst of a season to see how things are going to work and there's been good examples and there's been some bad examples and i i really hope that the nfl has learned and you know obviously there's going to be adjustments along the way because like we said i mean it, the football is just a high contact sport there's more more guys on the roster there's more people to account for in general and they're not going to do the bubble uh you know but it, it's just they've if they're going to make it work it's got to be a very strict thing and it's going to be tough on some of these guys i mean nick Foles had basically said that you know he at least from at least from what i read and i could be wrong and correct me if i'm wrong because i don't want to put up false information but i basically remember seeing something along the lines of uh his family for the most part is still in california and even the family that he has with him he's basically going to stay away from them as much as possible so he doesn't uh get them infected and keeps them safe so i mean this kind of goes to show you some of the sacrifices that these players are having to make because you know, it's one thing, and, and I know, you know, people are going to look at it and they say these guys are still making, you know, a lot of, you know, a decent amount of players are making at least three to $500,000, you know, whatever. Okay, that's fine. But as I, I think a lot of people can relate to the fact that you make more money over time, you adjust to the way that you live. And just because you're making more money and you're already taking a pay cut uh, or whatever it may be, you know, it's, it's one of those things, I guess, for that would be a better example for baseball, at least for football right now there's no proration you know the cap's going to drop so i guess you know more like seven hundred thousand. but either way it's one of those situations where players are still having to face the decision to go out and either play and put themselves at risk especially these bigger guys the guys with the higher uh, bmi rates are the ones more at risk which is why we've seen so many defensive and offensive linemen opt out including any goldman and the thing is is you know people can say okay well the risk of somebody like this dying is well below one percent okay and that's fine but the issue is is that you have to you have to look at the full scope one it's a scary thing to have you know there's been people like yohan moncada uh and uh, among other people who've got it that basically lost taste and smell for a few days and they felt no ill effects outside of that then you have guys like freddie freeman who had 104 degree fever for you know days upon days and thought he was going to die and it's it's one of those situations where that is scary enough to have to go through and subject yourself through it but on top of that, they're finding that there's been lasting heart conditions that have come out of this, heart damage. There's also been lung damage that comes out of this. And it's like, I mean, you got to think, these guys are out there running around on the field, and they've got to be in really damn good shape, better shape than most of us. Even if the guy's 330 pounds, there's a pretty good, pretty good chance they're going to be in better shape than you know most regular people are. And they rely on their heart, and they rely on their lungs. So, I mean, this is just, it's a big risk overall, and... It's just, man, it, it, it's a, it's an interesting situation to monitor, 
And obviously, people are going to feel how they're going to feel. The way I look at it, especially with the opt-out stuff, is you know more power to these guys because it's a it is a big risk, and it's and it's easy to be out of the situation and say, hey, this is what I would do, you know, whatever it may be. But the reality of it is, is there's guys that don't want to risk it, and I don't blame them for not wanting to risk it. I don't blame them for not wanting to put their family in jeopardy, their own health in jeopardy. Uh, you know, and, and, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, is, I mean, like Eddie Goldman, for example, I mean, he he laid basically even after the three point one million dollar bonus that he got that was already paid out to him. It's like he's laying uh, over seven million dollars on the table that will move to next year. But I mean, who's not to say that, you know, he's training next year and all of a sudden he gets hurt and he never plays a snap again. There's always that risk in football. And for a lot of these guys to push a year of their prime out just to take a year off, that's not an easy decision to make. So it, it's, again, it's one of those things, sports or entertainment. I mean, that's really what this comes down to. And I think that sometimes uh, a lot of us tend to forget that just because it's entertainment doesn't mean that these guys aren't human beings, that they don't have feelings, that they don't have their own worries, and that they don't have their own things to deal with. Even though they look superhuman and they may act superhuman from time to time, they're still human beings. And it's just a very delicate situation, and I'm very interested to see. I mean, we're recording this on a Tuesday, uh, and then Thursday is going to be the opt-out date, and we've already seen some more opt-outs. It's going to be very interesting to see what else happens. But, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody else how to feel, but I, I, I do think that it would be in everybody's best interest to understand both sides. You know, we're watching a football team. This is a big part of our lives but again, it's just entertainment. It's just sports. And we're talking about people's livelihoods or the fear of their livelihoods on the line. And I just I don't I don't see the need to criticize people for opting out, regardless of what the optics look like. I mean, this is a tough decision that none of us are having to make. I mean, there's only select few people in the entire world that are in the NFL that are having to make these decisions. And I think it's pretty well impossible for any of us to be put in their shoes and really objectively say what we would do in that situation. Yeah, and the other thing you have to look at, I mean, a lot of these players have families, and whether they have underlying conditions or not, they really don't want to risk getting their families, you know, sick and having to deal with the virus as well. So, yeah, I'm with you. I just, you know, I, I always look at this way. There's always co- another side to the story, whether you believe or not. So I have no problem with players opting out. Um, I, I totally understand it. And, you know, if they want to opt out, go ahead. It's definitely going to be a different game this year. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens in terms of essentially no fans in the stands, um, if they can finish the season because, you know, I'm at the point right now where I think they're at least going to start. I just have a hard time seeing them finish um, with the way that things are going. Let's hit our first break of the show. When we get back, we're going to break down some things. Uh, I have some questions to ask Aaron about the Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy presser, as well as the Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky presser. Plus, we'll get into a few roster moves the Bears have made since the last time we talked. We'll get into all that right after this. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers. Outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Welcome back in here to the Bear Report Podcast. So since the last time we talked, uh, the last episode that dropped on Friday, the Bears have made some moves. We, we know Eddie Goldman opted out. Um, they announced on Monday that a second player has now opted out. 
And it's uh, safety Jordan Lucas, who was a free agent signing. He was projected to be the fourth safety in the depth chart, but a special teams contributor. And in addition to Lucas opting out, the Bears also activated um, undrafted rookie running back Artavis Pierce from the COVID-19 reserve list while waiving fellow undrafted running back Napoleon Maxwell. Um, they've also brought back uh, tight end Eric Saubert and John Jenkins, uh, defensive lineman John Jenkins, from the COVID-19 reserve list while waiving uh, offensive lineman Dino Boyd couple big moves there. Uh, we won't spend time breaking down every single one. Uh, we just pretty much talked a little bit about the opt-out stuff. But for me, Aaron, the, the one that kind of stands out is the running backs. And I was kind of looking forward to see both Pierce and Maxwell challenge for that third running back spot. And now going into camp as, as they begin their walkthroughs and conditioning, it looks like right now the battle for the third running back spot is um, Pierce against Ryan Nall. And going back to Ryan Pace's press conference, one of the things I found really interesting that he said was how comfortable the Bears were with their running back depth. And now this was with Maxwell on the roster. I think Ryan Pace can feel as good as he wants about that depth. Personally, as a reporter and a fan, I really don't feel good about this Bears running back depth uh, behind David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen. Yeah, and that was one of the things that stood out to me at the press conference. Right, there's a lot of BS that's said, and there's a lot of just talking in circles. But that the, when he was asked about that, and basically the question was formed in the way of, you know, are they going to use uh, Patterson more at the running back position, and how do they feel overall? And yeah, Ryan Pace sat there and said they they feel very, very comfortable. And then they go on, they cut Maxwell. And, you know, it's one of those things. I look at it, and I look at the running back position, and I say, okay, realistically, especially. Because, again, I mean, the, the reality of the situation, they're not even starting to really practice. I mean, they're going to do walkthroughs, but you can't learn much through walkthroughs, and that's exactly what they talked about in the press conference. There's only so much you can learn until you get these guys out on the field practicing. And the reality of it is, is I mean, they basically have, you know, just under a month total worth of practicing. And, you know, the roster cut down, at least as of the last time I checked, I mean, you're talking basically three weeks from the, the time, not even three weeks, I think it's more like two and a half weeks from the time that they start practicing until the time that they have to make roster decisions. It's a very, very small uh, amount of time that they have to make those decisions. And I feel like the reps with the first and second teams are going to have much more value because of the short time and then no off season beforehand than you normally would because you need to figure out who's starting and you kind of need to, you know, get those guys reps and get them ready for week one. Because, I mean, we haven't seen, I mean, in at least recent memory, and I don't know if ever, uh, you know, at least in the modern football era where there's been no preseason games. And here we are where there's going to be no preseason games and they've got basically, uh, you know, about four weeks worth of practice um, before they actually play week one. And you'd think that they'd probably want to figure out their roster and, and figure out who's going to be starting and everything else. And probably, you know, at least a week, week and a half before games like normal. So it's one of those situations where I think you look at positions like running back and you say, okay, you know, the reality is they're probably keeping three people. So it's like you pointed out, it's going to be between Pierce and Nall at this point. I mean, what is, is was Maxwell really going to challenge for much of anything? Probably not. And I think the reality is, too, because practice squad went from 10, or 10 to 12, and then all of a sudden it's going to be 16 players where, at this point in time, whoever loses that position or whoever loses that battle, is going to be on the practice squad. I mean, that, that's basically, and that's kind of another way of looking at it, right? You got 53 guys that are going to make the roster. Then you got another 16 guys that are going to be 
on the on the practice squad as well. So when it really comes down to it, when you're really looking at the math of all this, I mean, only 11 guys are truly getting cut and aren't going to be on this roster um, come week one. So it's kind of one of those situations where, you know, it's kind of the same thing on offensive line, um, you know, and, and a few other spots where you just don't have time to evaluate the back end of the roster. And like they pointed out during the press conference, I mean, simply put, there's going to be some guys that get cut that probably shouldn't get cut because they don't have enough time to evaluate these guys. So I think I look at, you know, I look at these moves and I look at, especially the running back spot and, you know, with Maxwell um, getting cut, I just, I don't think they got time for it at this point. I think that that's going to kind of be the trend in a lot of different areas where I think you could probably, you could probably eye out the majority of this roster right now and say, you know, these guys are making the 53. And again, like I said, I mean, outside of 11 guys, everybody else is probably going to be making the practice squad at this point. Yeah, and I, I go back to that that comment as well about, you know, we're going to have to cut players that probably don't deserve to be cut at this stage and won't get a chance to, you know, even play in a preseason game and, and kind of make an, make an impact um, or show coaches that they can, you know, play at this level. And I think maybe Maxwell is part of that. Um, I, I don't know. Like, like you said, I think between it was going to be a battle between Pierce, Maxwell, and Nall with one being the third running back and the other being on the practice squad, they weren't going to keep another running back on the practice squad. So, you know, maybe they just kind of want to end that competition a little early. I still like Pierce as the third running back. I just, I mean, I know Ryan Nall has been a fan favorite at training camp and in preseason, but when you got a guy like Pierce who maybe can add another dynamic to your backfield, good pass catching back, and, and potentially even a Tariq Cohen replacement, depending on how things go, um, I think that's kind of, best case scenario everything goes right i'm kind of curious to see how he is going to be um this season and utilize this season i could be totally wrong bears could just decide to move on from him um and and go with Nall. but i like to like uh, at least like to see him get a chance you know the loss the moving shifting to the loss of jordan lucas i think you agree with me in this i think we both had him as the fourth safety um on the depth chart he was going to be a special teams contender but now this kind of opens up the door a little more for for uh, deandre houston carson and sherrick mcmanus both were going to make the roster and be primarily special teams guys now the the, the depth at safety you have eddie jackson and tashad gibson are probably going to be your starters uh deon bush will be your set will be your third safety and then after that it's you know, looking like it, it's going to be McManus or DHC. And then depending on what they want to do with Denmark, I mean, everything I've been told and read is, is he's going to be a cornerback, but you know, he did play safety in college for that one season. I'd be a little curious to see what they do at safety with the rotation. I, I don't think the loss of Lucas is, is too big. Um, you obviously just don't want to get down to that fourth and fifth uh, player on your depth chart, especially at that position. Yeah, well, I think you, when you look at the safety position, I, I, you know, again, you're looking towards the back end of the depth chart on the final 53, and realistically, if you get to one of those guys, you're probably in trouble anyway. I did like the upside that Lucas had, and I thought that he's kind of one of those guys that, you know, maybe you keep around for a few years as a special teamer that doesn't hurt you when he comes in. But the reality of it is, is, I mean, they've liked DeAndre Houston Carson. I mean, there's a reason that they keep, you know, re-signing them to these one-year deals and, and bringing him back. So, you know, it's one of those situations where I think that Lucas is, it was probably the better player. Uh, but Houston Carson, I don't know, you know, if you remember going back to last year and the year before, but he's shown some versatility that he can even play in the nickel um, or even the dime as well as, as, as far as an extra defensive back. So 
I don't think it's anything too big. And again, I mean, it's just one of those things with Lucas. We, you know, I, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find any Bears fan who, who really saw him play too much anyway, just because he was a primary special teamer on, you know, the chiefs and not really somebody when they signed him. I think a lot of people were like, who, who is this guy? I didn't know who he was either, to be completely honest with you. I mean, he has some value, but at the same time, I think when you're talking fourth, maybe fifth safety or, you know, the, the fourth safety and then maybe that extra defensive back like a Sherrick McManus who can play safety and corner. Uh, I think really all that this did was clarify that that position in terms of, I think, obviously, Houston Carson is going to be locked for a roster. And I think that Sherrick McManus probably finds a way on the roster as well because of the depth that he has and the special teams value. I mean, again, special teams value is big. But if, like you pointed out, I mean, if you're getting down to that, that fourth safety there, maybe that fifth safety, I mean, if they're go- those guys are on the field, you're already in some trouble anyway. So, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I guess the only good news is, is, you know, assuming everything levels out next year, I mean, he is still under contract for next year. And, you know, they can, they can you know, opt to keep him on and let it see how he does in training camp or if they want to cut him, you know, whatever. I mean, it just is what it is at this point. But the nice thing is, and, you know, kind of the nice thing with the opt-out that we have found out is that basically what's going on here is any player who opts out is just pushing their contract another year. Now, some of these guys like Eddie Goldman uh, will get a bonus that's already paid out to them. But then that basically that since that bonus has already been paid out to them, the, you know, the prorated cap hit will go away and then the prorated cap hit for any bonus that he's had in the past, stuff like that, plus his salary, will toll to next year. So basically, in essence, I mean, obviously the Bears would rather have Eddie Goldman starting a nose tackle this year. But in essence, uh, they basically extended out his contract one year without really having to pay him much this year. And then next year, he'll have a lower cap hit as well. So the Bears save money this year. And save a little bit next year. I mean, it's basically the equivalent of saving, you know, his whatever it was, nine or ten million dollar cap hit that he's going to have this year. It's just kind of spread out uh, differently throughout the next two years. So, I mean, that's definitely something to keep in mind with anybody anybody else who opts out. I mean, the team will still have that control with Jordan Lucas next year, even though he just signed a one year deal. So, it's not the end of the road for somebody like that. It wouldn't be the end of the road if anybody else opted out. And that that's similar of a situation. Um, but, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, you're, you're taking hits depth-wise. But, I mean, every team around the league is right now. I mean, that's the one thing to kind of remember. Uh, at least they're not the Patriots where they've got eight guys that have already opted out. Yeah, I, you know, you got to wonder what Bill Belichick's doing. Maybe he wants a tank for Trevor Lawrence next season. You never know. Uh, yeah, that also brings up, you know, the point of salary caps could be a little rumored to be a little lower next season. And now, you know, the Bears could be in some situations where they don't want to let go of players and they might have to just to free up some cap space. Um, that's a conversation for another time, though, as we don't officially know what the cap will be next season. Let's get into uh, some of the um, press conferences from last week. So, if you listen to the last episode, I kind of shared my thoughts on Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, um, as well as Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles' presser. Aaron, we've already talked about the running back position as one of the things that stood out uh, that Ryan Pace said. The other thing that really stood out, and it kind of has to do with the quarterbacks, in my eyes, was Ryan Pace you know, having a say in the decision to name the starting quarterback, um, he called it a collaborative effort. And I'll tell you, when I tweeted that out, my mentions were on fire because I think people took that a little too literally. Um, I think Pace will have a say, but it's not going to weigh as much as Matt Nagy's decision, you know, mixed in with Bill Lazor's decision, uh, John Filippo. 
and maybe even you know potentially Juan Castillo, who kind of got to work in conjunction with uh, Trubisky and Falls as the offensive line coach. I don't know what you kind of took away from that, but I do think Pace will have a say. It's just I don't think it's going to be as big as you know everyone kind of made it out to be. My personal take is I don't think Pace should have a decision at all in this. It's just my take because I think at this point in time, you've added the players. You've clearly made a mistake with Trubisky at this point. I mean, it's just that it's all there is to it. We don't need to go into that too much. But you've hired the coaches, right? So you hire the coaches. You you add the players. Your your impact on the situation is done. You let the coaches decide who the better player is. Now, with that being said, this is the one caveat I will say is that I just don't think, you know, it's one thing, and especially because we're not going to be able to see this play out in training camp. We're not going to be able to see, well, you will, but we won't be able to see this play out in preseason. Uh, so I think that the big thing to kind of remember here is it's very easy to mentally jump and say, okay, this is going to be a really close quarterback competition. We don't know who the winner is going to be. They may be split. The reality is there's probably going to be one quarterback that looks a lot better than the other because that's just the reality of most quarterback uh, competitions, fair quarterback competitions, I should say. So assuming that this is a fair quarterback competition, I think it is just because if you're really looking at it, it's like why do you trade a fourth-round pick for Nick Foles and and pay him top-end, you know, even backup money at this point, top-end backup money, uh, if you still want Trubisky to be your guy when you could have, you know, re-signed Chase Daniel for probably cheaper than what he got in Detroit, or you could have gone out and got somebody else, whatever. It doesn't matter at this point. The point being is, is that I don't think they would have done all of this just to, you know, simply hand the job to Trubisky or simply, you know, hand it to Foles. I'm sure they have an idea of what they want. But again, I think the big key here with a quarterback competition, quote-unquote competition that's going to last all of not even a month, is that it's it's likely not going to be as close as what we're all thinking. I, I mean, I don't really know. And again, the problem is, is that we're not going to be able to see it play out in person and we're not going to be able to see it in camp. We're not going to be able to see it in preseason. So I think it's going to make it that much tougher because there's going to be the people regardless. You know, if, if Trubisky wins a job and, you know, they're like, oh, well, Ryan Pace just won a one last hurrah or, you know, Foles wins it, then it's going to be, well, you know, they've just given up on him. He didn't get a fair chance. I mean, but the reality is none of us outside of you and all the other media members who were there for the select parts of practices are really going to know who looks better. But again, I just, my personal theory is I don't think, and again, one way or another, I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to knock either one of these guys. I just think one way or another that I don't think the play is going to be that that similar. And if the play is similar, um, my personal guess is if the play is similar, it's probably not going to be very good play. I, that's just my personal take. I think one of these dudes is going to take it and run with it. And I think it's going to be obvious. And, and I think that maybe getting into that mindset of there's probably going to be a clear winner in this competition. And, and Nagy's kind of hinted at as much, you know, before that, it's not just, you know, it's not just going to be neck and neck and, and all this other stuff. Like it's, there's probably going to be a clear winner. There's probably going to be a guy that has some really bad days where maybe the other guy has, you know, some average day and some good days. It may, you know, and that's kind of the thing with Trubisky, right? Is Trubisky's always been very up or very down. And that could hurt him in that situation versus somebody like Nick Foles, who could be pretty steady one way or another, where, you know, it could just make the decision that much easier. But again, I, I think that when you're, when you're looking at the competition, I just don't think it's going to be so much in a vacuum as both of these guys are neck and neck and they're just going to have to go with their gut. I think it's going to be pretty clear 
who the better quarterback is. And maybe it's Trubisky because, you know, he's been working with all these guys and he knows the offense a little bit better in terms of the, uh, in terms of language, or maybe it's going to be Nick Foles because Nick Foles is a more experienced veteran that, you know, has proven that he can come up in the clutch and play in big situations and really seize the moment and win the job. I don't know. I, again, your, your guess is as good as mine, but I don't think it's going to be as close as everybody thinks it's going to be going into this. I agree with you. I don't, I don't think Brian Pace should have, and he say, I think he's had the chance to pick his quarterback, and he picked wrong. And um, now he's got another chance to pick a quarterback and brought in Nick Foles via trade. So I think he's had a say in it. I think it should come down to Matt Nagy, Bill Lazor, John DiFilippo, and, and any of the other offensive coaches to kind of go with the guy who they feel is the best here in training camp. And, you know, no preseason games is obviously a big factor. Um, the the two-week conditioning is, is a big factor because right now they're essentially just going through walkthroughs. That's the most you're going to get out of them. And then when they start in two weeks, it's going to be, you know, for the most part, just helmets. They're not really going to start hitting until, I'd say, maybe um, a week after that or later in that week. So, the, you know, the competition will be heated up. I think the practices, the one good thing is, is in this situation is we have a quarterback competition, our first one since 2007-ish in training camp. Yeah, you want it to be – the full thing you want it to be, you know, in front of fans in, in scrimmages and have preseason games. That's just not the case. I do think though, these practices will be amped up a little more and you're going to see Foles with the first team. You're going to see Mitch with the first team. You're not really going to see Tyler Bray at the first team. Cause I think these are all just extremely valuable reps and Matt Nagy is going to want to get in as many reps as he can for each quarterback. The other thing I found interesting that Nagy said um, in terms of the, the quarterback competition is, you know, he's going to be looking at, yeah, obviously the, the play on the field and the practice field is going to be the biggest thing. But they're going to look at, you know, leadership. Who's out there, you know, being a leader and who's getting out of the huddle, right, and getting this guy set up and kind of taking command of that huddle. Who's in the, the meeting room, you know, um, asking the questions and, and taking control of the meeting room. And Breaking it down to what both you know Mitch has said and Foles have said, I think they kind of both have an advantage in, in in both those situations. So I think you know as far as commanding the huddle, I think you know you give it to Trubisky a little more just because he's been with the guys. I'm not saying that Foles maybe can't command the huddle. I just think the familiarity there with 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 the offensive weapons probably has advantage towards Mitch. But I do think the familiarity with the coaches is the advantage to Foles as well as. Um, being that leader in the locker room and in those meetings, because Foles even said, you know, not it's not everything on the field. It's me in the in the meeting room asking questions and and me, you know, wanting to know why and demanding answers from my coaches and you know maybe helping out Mitch and helping out Tyler because we're kind of in this together. I, I feel like Foles has been saying the right things and Trubisky. I've been actually impressed with Trubisky's press conferences, even though you know he's been very robotic still. But he said some of the right things to me, and at least I will give him this. He's motivated and he's trying. It just has to go on the field. In terms of this quarterback competition, though, you know, Matt Nagy is right. It's going to have to be those things in this different offseason, in the shortened training camp, the unusual training camp. It might be those intangibles that, that kind of maybe win one of these guys the job. Yeah, and well, you know, and that's that's the thing, I mean, I don't think anybody should misunderstand this point. I mean, Trubisky's failures aren't for lack of trying. I mean, the, the dude's never been lazy. He's not Cade McNown. I mean, that's 
you know, that's that definitely needs to be said because it's not it's not for a lack of trying. And, you know, he went out this this offseason and he started working with Jeff Christensen, who is one of, if not the best private quarterback coach, in my opinion. I thought that was well overdue and I'm, I'm glad he did. And I again, I, I cannot say this enough and I truly mean it. I hope Trubisky comes out and looks like a completely different quarterback and he comes out and he's a quarterback that they drafted him to be or anywhere close to that. I, that that does nothing but benefit the Bears because, again, long-term, I don't think Foles winning the job and having an okay season or a solid season really does much of anything for them because he's not a long-term solution. But, again, the Bears are in a window right now where they have to try to maximize it. And the cap's going down. They're already crunched on cap space as is. Uh, you know, we'll just have to see how that plays out over time. But the reality of it is, is that they're kind of in win now. Now, I, I'll be honest and say I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. I mean, obviously, a lot would have to go right. And the offense would have to not be terrible. I think they have the defense to make that happen. But the offense is the big question mark. Uh, but, you know, it, again, like, it, it's one of those things where, you know, if Trubisky ends up being the and you're going to have to pay him. I mean, you're either going to have to tag him or you're going to have to pay him. Um, and if Foles ends up, you know, winning the job and Trubisky kind of rides off in the sunset unheard, then all of a sudden you've got a situation where you're going to be drafting another next year, uh, you know, and you've got, you're going to have Foles on the roster for at least another year after this year. So, I really hope that Trubisky wins the job. I really hope he wins the job. Well, I should let me put it this way. I hope Trubisky wins the job because he was the better quarterback. I don't expect Trubisky to win the job, but I, I do hope that he does win it because he's a better quarterback. Because again, that is the bigger benefit in the situation for the Bears long term. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, even listening to Trubisky talk, I mean, he definitely seems not that he ever didn't seem motivated, but he definitely seems to have a little bit more uh, urgency about him. And, I mean, like I said, I, I really he's a good dude. I really hope it works. I really hope he figures it out. I mean, players love him. But, again, and this is something that I've seen kind of made mention a few times, just because Trubisky is working with some of these guys during the offseason doesn't mean that the players aren't going to get out on the field and know who the better quarterback is right away. And I've got news for you, regardless of friendships, whatever else is going on, uh, the Bears are going to want the better quarterback on the field, not the players included. And if, if Foles is really the better quarterback, then the, the team is going to want him as that quarterback because that gives them a better chance of winning. You know, the, the whole politicking thing with players, all that stuff, that's all well and fun during the offseason when they're trying to get work. And it's really cool that Trubisky went out and showed the initiative and the players wanted to work with him. But that means absolutely nothing once they get out on the field and the evaluation really starts. And, you know, that's not going to be, a, in my personal opinion, that's not going to be a remote factor and their quarterback decision and who's starting week one. Um, it's it just not. I, I mean, it's going to be, It's again, I think it's going to be pretty clear who the better quarterback is one way or another. I hope it's Trubisky, but again, I'm still expecting it to be Foles. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. You know, the best case scenario is Trubisky comes out on fire in training camp and, and kind of lights it up. Is that starter in, is the starter week one to 16, leads him to the playoffs and has a big year. Then you can tag him and make them prove it again. Um, that's probably the best long-term plan because then you can just draft, you know, maybe a developmental quarterback next year in the draft. If, you know, if Foles comes out and, and he wins the job, it's not, you know, terrible. It's not a bad thing at all, but it's like, it's just Foles isn't part of your long-term solution. And, and Trubisky probably isn't either unless he 
does that scenario that I just played out. So, yeah, absolute worst-case scenario is both these guys stink. Uh, we're in quarterback hell again. You have a defense that, you know, probably can win you some playoff games, can, you know, put you probably in the conversation. I, I agree. I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. Maybe put you in the conversation, make some noise late in the year. But then you're stuck having to find another quarterback in the offseason. You're pretty much pressing restart, um, trying to rebuild on the fly and hope you strike gold. Uh, I, I just don't see that happen. I think, you know, you have to hope Trubisky wins the job and comes out really damn good um, and is the long-term guy. Otherwise, I, you're going to have to reset it within the two years eventually. So, yeah, that that's it's it's going to be interesting to kind of watch here um, throughout this offseason. And, you know, speak of the quarterback competition, I mean, this whole month, that's what's going to be. When the Bears are on the practice field, the whole spotlight's going to be on the quarterback competition. I want to get into that as we kind of wrap up the show here, Aaron. Let's hit our final break of the show. We'll be right back, and we'll talk to quarterbacks before we wrap things up. Welcome back in here to the Bearport Podcast. We're going to wrap things up by talking about the quarterbacks. And as I mentioned, you know, this whole month is going to be about the quarterback battle. That's the most important battle right now on this Bears roster. It's Mitchell Trubisky against Nick Foles. Last week we got to hear from both of them. Uh, we'll probably get to hear from them again during camp. Don't have a set schedule on that just yet. Aaron, what were kind of your big takeaways um, from Trubisky's press conference and, and from what Foles had to say? Well, I think it, it's really the tale of two completely different people, right? Where you hear, like I said, there, there was some urgency and some some unfound confidence in, in Trubisky and what he was saying. And, and I mean, he sounded determined. And he sounded, again, he just sounded more urgent. There, there seemed to be, it, it, to me... When you look at the mentality of both of these guys, it seemed like Trubisky was chasing and Foles, on the other hand, was kind of more that comfortable, confident, you know, like, I, you know, like, basically, if I lose the job, it is what it is, you know, I'm still going to be there, but I came in to win the job, you know, it's one of those things where... I think you're seeing a seasoned veteran who's won a Super Bowl, and I'm, and again, I'm not saying Foles is a great quarterback, because he's not, but I think that you've seen... You know, listening to both guys talk and see how they handle themselves, and just, just look at the way Foles was dressed. I mean, you know, it just when you when you look at the two quarterbacks, you got one young guy who's looking to come out and prove that he is the guy and that he belongs as an NFL starting quarterback for the Bears, who drafted him number two overall in 2017, versus a guy Nick Foles who's been there. And has seen the lows of the lows where he was on the verge of, you know, after the Rams, I mean, he was on the verge of retiring until he went to Kansas City and kind of, you know, righted his career a little bit. And then obviously went on to went on with the Eagles. And you're seeing a guy who has won the Super Bowl, who has been in big games, who has lost his job, who is, you know, who has basically come in at a moment's notice and saved the season and took the, the Eagles to the Super Bowl and beat out the greatest quarterback of all time. And you've, you like I said, I mean, you've seen a guy who has been through it all versus a quarterback in Trubisky who's still very young. He's still very eager. He still needs to prove himself because he hasn't proven anything yet. And somebody that his back's up against the wall right now in terms of this is a guy, when you look at the three quarterbacks that were taken in that class, I mean, we we don't even have to say the names. We know where the other two guys are, and we know where Trubisky's at. And Trubisky is the only one fighting for a job right now. And not only is he fighting for a job this coming year, but, I mean, he's really fighting for his NFL career. I mean, he could very easily be Blake Bortles to the point where 
we never even really hear his name again after he, you know, after this year in the Bears, you know, if, if he was to lose a job and kind of rides off in the sunset, you know, he'll he'll sign with the team and then we'll probably never hear much about him again kind of thing. And that's what he's fighting versus Nick Foles, where Nick Foles really doesn't have a lot to prove. He's comfortable with himself. He knows that if he gets a job, he's going to go out and do what he always does. And, I mean, he's going to be a pretty average quarterback that, you know, has a good deep ball and can, you know, have some – have some good games, but has limited upside. And you got a guy in Trubisky who really wants to be the quarterback that they drafted him as. So I didn't take a lot away from what they said in terms of words, but more of just the two very different people sitting in front of the microphone, talking to the media about the upcoming battle that they're about to have over the next few weeks. And again, I mean, Nick Foles is one of those guys that Regardless of the fact, he's still got two years guaranteed, you know, to where he's going to be on the Bears roster this year and next year, where Trubisky is in the final year of his rookie deal. And if he fizzles out this year, and you know, he's pretty good chance he's going to have to sign a, and this won't be a Marcus Mariota type situation. It'll be a Blake Bortles type situation where he'll end up going and signing, you know, a $2 million deal somewhere, maybe with some incentives. And, you know, he's going to be lucky to ever get a chance to start again. I mean, he's fully aware of the situation that he's in right now. It's an unfortunate situation. But I just think that, again, the the tone and the attitude and how both players carried themselves and the way that they talked was very, very interesting to see the polar opposites of two guys going for the same job at two completely different points in their career. Yeah, I mean it's it's the last dance for Mitchell Trubisky. It's his absolute last chance uh, to prove that hey, I can play at this level. I could be a starting quarterback, and and I have to agree with you. I think listening to them, you could tell in their in their tones. You know, Foles talks and says, you know, things that you expect to hear from a veteran and a guy that can be a leader in this offense. You know, he's he's breaking down the offense. He's talking about how important it is you know, to not only see the stuff on paper and, and go through the stuff in the film room, but as, you know, executing it on the field. I mean, he had the quote about saying where um, it was, you know, you can know the out route, the, the yardage and where the ball needs to be, but you still have to go out there and put the ball, you know, on the, on the money and make a receiver know where he's got to be and things like that. So, yeah, it's interesting to hear from both of them, whereas Trubisky is more of, yeah, I'm motivated. I got to prove the haters wrong. You know, this is my last chance, stuff like that. And, and that's fine. Mitch does seem very motivated. Like you said, he, he worked out Jeff Christensen. It's about time. He's trying to do everything he can to ensure that he can win this starting job and get another shot. Now, it's still going to come down to the field for me. It's which quarterback gives you the best chance to play all 16 games and be really damn good. And for me, you know, I, I, I lean towards Foles on that. However, I still am under the thought that we're probably going to see both of these quarterbacks. History tells us we're going to see both these quarterbacks this year because, you know, Trubisky hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's had injuries and his poor play. And Foles hasn't really been able to play a full 16-game year consistently and be really damn good outside of that year he had. I, I want to say it was – his second year in the league where he made the pro bowl. So it'll be interesting to kind of watch as we go on through here in the off season, uh, in training camp and listen to them talk to the media when they're scheduled to next. Now it's definitely going to be interesting. It's probably gonna be the same of same stuff, uh, that they're going to say, uh, they they seem like two guys are going to kind of give you this, the same stuff every time. Although Foles does sound like he's going to probably provide a little more detail, 
Uh, we're just got to wait and see in, in, until that uh, week one kickoff in Detroit. Now, Aaron, I, I think I know where you're leaning on this one. I asked you say this last week, and I gave my thoughts on it. If I had to ask you right now, before we get in this quarterback competition, who's the starting quarterback week one for Chicago Bears? Nick Foles. Uh, I, I That's what I thought you said. Made the made the addition, and I'm I'm not moving away from that. I hope it's Trubisky, but I think it's gonna be Foles. Yeah, I'm with you too. I think Nick Foles definitely has the advantage uh, going into training camp right now. And like I said, it's gonna be the big storyline of all training camp. Even though there are other roster battles, it's definitely gonna be the big storyline. You're definitely gonna hear more from it uh, from us here on this podcast as, as time goes on. Aaron, uh, I think that should pretty much do it, unless you had anything else. No, no, I think that's that's pretty much it. I mean, it's we're just kind of scraping away, struggling, trying to tr- trying to pull some stuff out until we can really, you know. I mean, Zach's going to be there. I mean, Zach's going to be the one reporting on camp, and and hopefully when that time comes, we'll start getting some good little tidbits. And we kind of talked about it before the podcast started. I mean, highly unlikely, but you know, maybe maybe teams will. Maybe teams will live stream some practices, and maybe the Bears will be one of those. Again, highly unlikely, but it would be kind of nice to to see some sort of football in action before week one, which is still a little over a month away. Yeah, we still got a little bit over a month away, and, and I'll be there for practices. Uh, I don't have a full set date. I think it's going to be August 17th, around then, is when the media can actually go into practice and start reporting things, which will be very refreshing. I, I'm just ready to get through with it and get into training camp and and watch some football like i said i think we're gonna start the season i don't know um if we're actually gonna end the season or, or fully finish the season uh on time so aaron where can everyone follow you on twitter at and uh, where can they read your work at yeah you can find me at aaron lemming nfl on twitter and you can read my work at thebearreport.com Awesome. You can follow the Bear Report on Twitter at Bear Report. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Zach, Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson. You can read my work on the Bear Report. And please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the Bear Report podcast. Until then, everyone, stay safe. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.